Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Church family, I am so grateful uh, that we get a chance to worship together uh, this morning. Hey, by the way, I mean, it's, it's fall break and y'all came to church. That means you're extra spiritual, all right? So give yourself a hand for coming to church on a fall break. And I want to say this, for those of you guys who are watching our live stream who are traveling, we are so grateful, uh, man, that you get a chance to get away with your family. We look forward uh, to seeing you guys back next week. Thanks for watching this morning. Hey, I tell you what, I really loved our series so far through the book of Acts. It's this idea, the gospel at work, and it's this truth and reality. You ready? In the Holy Spirit, we find that he is actively working the gospel in us and through us in our everyday as Christ followers. Now, the truth also can be seen here in the book of Acts. And what we find here is really a sequel, right? Luke is writing a sequel to Theophilus, a sequel to his gospel known as the book of Acts. And we find ourselves, as we did last week, in Acts chapter 3 in Jerusalem with a very young church. And there we kind of follow along with Peter and John as they head towards the temple, as was their custom. And they go around three in the afternoon to go talk with Jesus and to pray. And also to stand witness for Christ there in the temple. And as we kind of tag along in scripture, we notice they come up to the temple gates. Across the sprawling 35 acres are some really beautiful gates at the temple. In fact, there's one gate called Beautiful that Peter and John, we, we, we pass it with them. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit grabs hold of our attention and our hearts. And all of a sudden we are focused in on a crippled beggar who lays there at the gate called Beautiful. He was on the wrong side of the the gate and the sight was anything but beautiful to the thousands who had passed there that day. And yet the Holy Spirit catches our attention to this man in his condition, laying there at the gate. And so it was with Peter and John. And as the crippled beggar, not even able to make eye contact, cries out for alms or for charity, Peter looks him in the eye, demands his attention back. And what's amazing about what Peter and John do is they don't give the man what he asked for, what he wanted in that moment. Better yet, they gave him what he needed the most. They gave him Jesus, who would soon strengthen his legs and bring healing to his legs. And what's amazing is, is by the time that this once crippled beggar walks into the temple, a crowd had gathered to see this man who they'd seen for years, if not decades, lying there, is now walking, is now dancing, and is now worshiping the Lord inside. The temple gates for the first time. What an incredible incredible part of Acts chapter 3. And here's what we begin to see, that Peter and John, noticing the crowds around them, take the opportunity to boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where we catch up together today in Scripture in Acts chapter 4. We jump in on Peter and John's sermon. We listen in as they share the gospel, but we're not the only ones who are listening in. This morning, If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. Now, as you do that, I have a really important question for you this morning. 
what's your favorite potato chip? Now, I want you to think through this, okay? It's important for our message today. I want you to think brand and flavor. What is your favorite potato chip on the planet? Now, on the count of three, I want you loudly and proudly to let me know what your favorite potato chip is, okay? I want you to drown out your neighbor, and I just want to hear from you what your favorite potato chip is, okay? Everybody good? You got your potato chip? Kind of shake your head yes there. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Who said salt and vinegar? Security. No, okay. I, we, we pray for you, um, those of you who like salt. I just could never do it. I could never do any salt there. Hey, listen, can I share with you my favorite? Let me just, um, this is from my secret stash in my office. Um, and I know you guys are like, you're a dietitian and a vegetarian and a marathon runner, but I'm going to tell you, I love me some potato chips, and here we go. You ready? Right here. The best potato chips, number one slot, number two slot. Hey, how many Dorito fans do we have out there? God bless you. How many of you guys don't like Doritos and are backslidden? I see those hands. Hey, listen, it's okay. No judgment here, but I'm going to tell you, Doritos are where it's at. Have you ever set one of these on fire? You need to. You can go home and do that after the sermon because guess what happens? There's a green flame that comes, which is probably really good for your body and your innards. But anyway, man, I just love this chip. And here's the deal. In the marketing strategy for Doritos, they have an incredible marketing strategy. They brand this chip, this brand, as the bold flavor. It's the bold chip choice amongst the sea of bland chips. you got to go for the bold when it comes to Doritos, right? A bold product line, and as we can tell even here today, a pretty bold following by people. Man, they just absolutely love this chip, and I do too. It's our favorite around the house. You know, I got to thinking about Acts chapter 4, and I got to thinking of maybe just a sad reality. You got to follow me here. I promise this connects some dots. When I think of the American church, I think a sad reality that you and I are confronted with is that oftentimes there's more boldness in a bag of chips than there is among the body of Christ. That there's more promised and practical boldness in this bag of chips than we find oftentimes in the body of Christ. Now, I want to say this. As we we look at Acts chapter 4 this morning, we've done celebrated our favorite chip. We've done had a good time together. But I want you to hear me. There's a challenge here. And the question becomes... Man, how is it that you and I bring back bold? How is it that you and I can bring back bold to our hearts and our lives? How is it that you and I can bring back bold when it comes to his church, to this community, to what God wants to accomplish? Well, first of all, we got to define what boldness is. And I'm talking biblical boldness here. If you were to study the book of Acts as we are doing, there is a common theme you are going to find. And that common theme is boldness or courage on the behalf of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, right? There's this boldness that's set forth. Now, when you begin to study the word in the Greek that is translated boldness or courage, you're going to begin to find a Greek word that's parousia. 
And I want to explain to you what this word really means. It means this. When you study and you see this theme, this word bold or courage in the book of Acts, it means this. Parousia is the willingness on behalf of someone to engage in activity that is deemed risky or dangerous. Isn't that cool? To engage in activity that is risky or dangerous at best. But here's what that word also carries with it. You ready? That boldness does not just exist in our speech, but boldness is also found in the conduct of one's life. Boldness is not just what we say. It's not confined just there. But it's found in how you and I live out our lives for Jesus Christ. Now, when, when I'm talking about being bold... I'm not talking about being a jerk. Rather, the biblical concept of boldness is being Jesus to a world that is lost without him. And at times, a world that is hostile to the gospel message. I want you to hear me. The gospel message is foolishness to those who are prepared. It is an offense to a world that is lost and whose hearts have been hardened to the things of God. The gospel message is offensive. So much so that you and I don't have to be. You and I don't have to add offense to the gospel. For us, it's the very message of God and the power of God. But for those who don't know him and who don't want him, it's an offense. And you and I don't need to add an offense to it. Boldness means this biblically. Loving, living, and leading people to Jesus. But you know what? Better yet, in the Holy Spirit that we have indwelling every believer, it is allowing Jesus to love and to live and to lead through your life and my life. That's what boldness biblically looks like. Um, (laughs) One of our favorite places to eat is Pottery House Cafe. We love it over there. And and so my wife and I and my kids, we were, and we got four young kids, um, I love my, my youngest daughter. Her name's Sadie. I call her Sadie Bug. And uh, she's now three. And, and you know how bold two and three-year-olds are, don't you? Uh, they just don't quite say what you want them to say in life. So we get to Pottery House, and for the first time I'm holding her hand, she notices a sign outside the outside door. And she says, hey, hey, Daddy, what does that sign say? Well, it's a picture of a dog with a circle around it and a line through it, right? So, so it's saying you're not allowed to bring your pets in here. I said, hey, sweetheart, that sign says that you're not allowed to bring, like, your, your puppies in there. You're not allowed to bring your dogs in there. You're just not allowed to bring your pets inside. She said, okay, Daddy. We put her name in. We go sit outside in those rocking chairs around that stone fire pit, and we're just rocking away. When all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, Sadie notices an elderly woman walking into Pottery House Cafe with a dog on a leash. And she screams at her. You can't take your dog in there! And man, I froze. I didn't know what to say. I thought, oh no. And I just, the only thought that came to my mind is, whose kid is this? Like, where did this kid come from? And just the parenting fell. And I literally just sat there like, and it was a service dog. And she walked away. And I thought, oh my God, 
I mean, how do you, how do you survive that? Like, how do you, I mean, just, just pack it up and go home, right? And that, that awkward moment, I'm going to tell you something. A two- and three-year-old know what it is to be bold, but not necessarily what biblical boldness looks like. You know, sometimes I think if we're not careful, the type of boldness we try to portray in, in our country, in our conversations about the gospel, are more along the lines of a two- or three-year-old than they are that of a mature believer in Jesus Christ. And so how is it that we bring back bold? Listen, I love my daughter, and I just she's so great. But what we find here in Scripture is a different definition of what boldness is. So the question today is, man, how is it that you and I, how do we bring back bold? And here's the answer. You ready? We choose boldness no matter the cost. We have one point today. Now listen, that doesn't mean the sermon's shorter. But look, we got one point today. How do we bring back bold? We choose boldness no matter the cost. In your Bibles in Acts chapter 4, let's just turn to Scripture real quick. I love this. You ready? We're coming in the mist. Remember, we're joining in on Peter and John's sermon. But we're not the only characters on the scene here. The Bible says this, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So in a sense, we see the rulers of the temple area. Now they're interrupting Peter and John's sermon. They're interrupting their presentation of the gospel. And the Bible says this, verse 2, here's why. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, let's kind of explain who's all on the scene here. Of course, we know Peter and John, followers of Christ, preachers of the gospel. But we finally have priests who are on the scene. Now, the priests were, in a sense, the worship leaders at the temple. It was their job to make sure everything was done by the law of Moses. And really, they were probably the most influential crowd approaching Peter and John. But we also, we have the captain of the temple guard. Let's talk about the temple guard. Um, just for sake of argument, they're kind of like the police force there at the temple. They were there to protect the treasures of the temple. They were there to make sure that worship would go off without a hitch. They were there just to provide protection. Now, let, let me tell you what's interesting to note, to note. Just weeks earlier, this was the very same group of people that would charge Gethsemane's hilltop and arrest Jesus. They're the very same one who was in charge of his care as he would go from trial to trial, mock trial after mock trial before he was crucified. That was the temple guard. Now we find the captain is here. So not only do we have priests, but now we have the chief of police, the captain of the guard. And then lastly, it says this, that we have the group called the Sadducees who are there. And all three of them combine, and they close in on Peter and John. I'm going to tell you something. This was not a normal happenstance in the temple every day. The last time we saw this, again, was weeks earlier with a man by the name of Jesus. And here these characters are again. And so the question comes this morning, what doth trouble the mind of the Sadducees? Why are they so greatly disturbed? Here's what we know the Sadducees. You ready? They were wealthy. They were political religious leaders who believed this of God, that God was far off and uninvolved with his humanity he created. They did not believe in life after death, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels or demons. In fact, anything supernatural, they turned their 
their nose at. They had no belief in it. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, whether it be Christ's resurrection or the very resurrection you you and I are promised in Christ. That's why they are, and this is a corny joke time, so I'm going to need you to laugh, okay? Sad, you cease, right? Like that's why they're sad because honestly, they had enough political or religion, they had enough of their religion to serve them in their pursuit of power. That's why they're Sadducees. Now here's what scripture says in verse three, that they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in the jail until the next day. Now, what we're finding here is that they would not put Peter and John on trial in the evening time because their law prohibited trials in the evening. What's funny about that is, just weeks earlier, they had no problem breaking that very same law when Jesus was in their custody. And they put him on trial after trial. Why? Because time wasn't on their side with Jesus. They had to shut him up. They had to cut him off because he was too much of a danger to the religion they had held so strongly to. But with Peter and John, they had some time to spare, and here's why. Because they were hoping a night in the pokey, right? A night in prison would shake them enough that they would leave the temple and they would stop with this foolish message of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. And the Bible says this, I love this, but, but many who had heard the message believed. So the number of men believe, who believed grew to about 5,000. Now listen, in first century, this is how you counted a crowd. But in reality, not only was it thousands of men, but it would be thousands of women, their wives and their families, who would come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hear me, you can lock up the messenger, but the message is still bearing fruit. The message of the gospel is still bearing fruit. And here's my question. In this conversation of boldness and bringing back bold, did Peter and John, were they aware that their actions would cost them something in the temple? Healing a crippled beggar, sharing the gospel. Were they aware? And hear me, church, you ready? Of course they were. Their boss, their savior, weeks earlier, was killed for the very same course of action. They were very aware. They were proclaiming a message that contradicted the message of the ruling class of the religious leaders. The very Sadducees who presided over the crucifixion of Jesus was now determining the fate of Peter and John. Hey, can I mention something about verse number three? This tactic of imprisonment, of censorship, of intimidation. And can I just make this note? That very same tactic is alive and well today amongst the church. Verse number three is lived out every day. Believers around the world are being jailed. They are being imprisoned. They are beaten, tortured, raped, and murdered for the very same message that you and I are reading here in Acts chapter four this morning, showing the very same boldness of Peter and John. Consider this, and let's go by the numbers, 245, 245 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. That is one in every nine believers around the world 
experience high levels of persecution because of their love for Jesus. Consider this number, 14%. That is how much the church has grown in the past year in those very areas where persecution is the greatest. You ready, church? The church is exploding where persecution is the greatest while it is rapidly declining here in the great freedom of the United States of America. Here's another number. From the reports... Over 4,136 believers were put to death. That is what we know of because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their unwillingness to recant their faith in him. That means this, by the time you put your head on your pillow tonight and wake up in the morning, 11 brothers and sisters just like you and me will have given their life boldly because of their love for Jesus. 2,625 Christians last year were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned, just like Peter and John were. 1,266 church buildings were attacked with violence last year. Hey, listen, by the time we wake up in the morning, 105 houses of worship, places where Christians gather together, will have been attacked, burglarized, or vandalized because they love Jesus. What we see happening in Acts chapter 3 is alive and well today in the world. And I, I begin to think about I begin to think about all the numbers that I just threw out to you and these believers who are right now living this out. I begin to think about Peter and John and their situation. And the question, maybe you've asked this question, man, what would I do? Have you ever wondered that? Would I, would I be bold enough? Would I be brave enough to stand for Christ, though it would cost me greatly? And I begin to ask the question, how is it that they had so much boldness in these moments like Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? And then I'm reminded of what Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, he said this, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say what is ever given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the very Holy Spirit of God. Hey, are you ready, church? Part of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us is that when persecution is faced by the believer, we have a spokesman who is working on our behalf so that instead of being afraid, you and I can stand bold in Christ. And it's happening all over the world today, just as much as it was in Acts chapter 4. You and I could stand bold no matter the cost. Hey, can I throw out a special note here? The tactics of those who hold the weaker argument always has been violence, censorship, imprisonment, or ex execution. The very same tactics are employed here in Acts chapter 4 against Peter and John, and the very same tactics are employed for the many who today are being persecuted for Christ around the world. And you know what? 
there might come a day where we see those tactics. Even here, a land of the free in the home of the brave. Hey, by the way, the persecution begins. Last week I said this coming off of Acts chapter 3, heading into Peter and John's sermon, that what takes place this week in Acts chapter 3 and 4 is pivotal. It's a turning point for the young church. Why? Because now persecution begins. And this persecution will take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, outside its city limits, and will take the gospel in Judea and Samaria into the very ends of the earth as Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The persecution begins at the healing of a beggar, the boldness of Peter and John, and nothing is the same again for this young church here in Jerusalem. And here's what the Bible tells us as we continue in Acts chapter 4. They had Peter and John brought before them. Now, I want to make a note real quick that Peter and John in verse 7 now stand where Jesus stood before the Sadducees. Imagine that. They now stand where Jesus stood before them. And they begin to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? You ready? They're asking, by what authority do you have to even speak that we've not given to you? The audacity. How dare you? That's the connotation that's carried here. For those of you who grew up watching Full House, it was little Michelle Tanner going, how rude. How rude. Who do you think you are? What we find here in Acts chapter 4 is what we find a few chapters back in the Gospels. The very same line of questioning when Jesus was at the temple in Matthew chapter 21. Let's look at just a few passages together. That Jesus had entered temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority? Are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Do you see the very same line of questioning? Listen to how Jesus responded later on in verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? He quotes Psalm 118, a famous uh, messianic passage in the Jewish faith. In verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a great prophet. They were terrified of the crowd. Isn't it amazing that Peter and John were faced with the very same situation, the very same questions as Jesus was, questions of authority, And what's amazing is as Peter and John answer the accusations in the very same way that Jesus, in the very same vein that Jesus did. Can we just stop right here? You know what I love about this? Peter and John who had spent time with Jesus, they look like him and they're starting to talk like him. Hey church, can can I just remind, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you allow him to impact your life, the more you allow his spirit to work in you and through you, the more you and I are going to look like him. The more you and I are going to talk like him. I just, I look at Peter and John, I go, man, they remind me of Jesus. When my family stands over my gravestone one day, over my grave, if they could say that about me, 
I finish well. And for you too. Hey, by the way, talking about the Sadducees, we see them here in Acts chapter 4. We see them again with Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. Can I just issue a challenge? Be weary of those who fear men more than they fear God. Time and time again, we see the Sadducees and they continually fear the crowd in Acts chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 21. But I want you to hear me. Biblical boldness loves the crowds and fears displeasing God more than man. That's what biblical boldness looks like. And then we begin to see here this transition in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. we got to stop right there. Hey, can I just remind you again that you are not alone? That you are not alone. Why? Because of Christ in you through his spirit. Think of the great commission, right, of Matthew chapter 28. We call it a commission. Why? It's because when the believer partners with the spirit of God to the very command of Christ, we go together into a world that is lost and in need of Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Jesus said this, and surely I'm with you always to the very end. Man, how could it be that Jesus who died has risen and now ascended into the heaven be with us always until the very end because his spirit lives in us. And it's the wonderful promise of God that we are never alone. The author of Hebrews, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You are never alone no matter where you stand. As Jesus promised, church, Receive it. The Holy Spirit is the perfect spokesman for Peter as the Holy Spirit speaks in him and through him. And let's listen to his message, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, by the way, you know what they're doing? They are pointing out the absurdity of them having to stand before such a prestigious council. I love what Charles Swindoll said. He said that this is attuned to a couple of high school students being sat before, standing before the Congress and the Supreme Court gathered together. He's pointing out the absurdity of this. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Hey, by the way, does that sound at all familiar? Does that sound at all like anybody you know? Amazing to me that Peter and John drop a truth bomb here. I love it. They quote from Psalm 118, a famous messianic passage. And just as Jesus did, knowing that this passage was reserved for the Messiah and the Messiah alone, the Savior of the world. But here's what we find out. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 118, said so in Matthew chapter 1, and now Peter reinforces that truth amongst the people and in front of the Sadducees that day. For a Jewish leader who studied in Scripture, hearing Peter and John, having heard Jesus in Matthew 21, would have infuriated them and would have incited them to do whatever it took to shut down, to shut up, and to cut off whoever was speaking 
such heresy. And that's how they saw it in their darkened minds. No matter how they received it, however, Peter and John, with boldness, unapologetically spoke the truth of the gospel. Hey, can I just mention something real quick? By the way, you and I are not responsible for how people respond to the gospel. We are responsible to lovingly share and live out the gospel in our lives. That's where God holds us responsible. And listen to the crux of their message in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other name, not Trump, not Sanders, not Republican, not Democrat, not American, not Asian, not African, not labeled a good person or a bad person, no other name but Jesus, not Baptist, not Methodist, not Pentecostal, not Church of God, not Episcopal, not Presbyterian. There is no other name but Jesus by which you and I are saved. Peter was clear. There is no one else. Here's the message Peter conveyed. And I just jotted this down. Being a Sadducee, hearing what he is speaking, I wonder what this statement was saying to their hearts and their minds. Here's what Peter conveyed. The man you killed, Jesus, is not merely a man as you had hoped. He is both God and king. It'll be this very same Jesus that you will stand accountable to in the eternity that you fail to see. You may think that God is far off, uninvolved, but he is not. He clothed himself in flesh, became a man, and though you tried to kill him, he is alive. Salvation is in him and him alone. Not your religion, but a relationship with him. He is truth. He is the ultimate reality. He is the certainty. He is fact. And he is all actuality. And as I look at this young church here in Acts chapter 4, I find men and women who chose boldness no matter the cost. Jesus lived it. Peter and John, they replicated it. And you and I need to multiply it in our hearts and in our lives, in our marriages, in our families in our workplaces, in our schools, in our friendships, in our community, in our nation, and in the world. Jesus lived it. Peter and John replicated it. You and I, Christ in us, must multiply. You know, I like to think of the, uh, the road not traveled. I don't know if you ever do that with stories. I just like to think of what if. What if that day Peter and John, instead of choosing boldness no matter the cost, they counted the cost. 
and decided to be quiet instead. What would have happened? Well, number one, I think of a crippled beggar who would still be lying at a gate until he died. Having missed Jesus when Jesus walked into the temples, the temple that day, having been skirted by by Peter and John, he would have been left there helpless and hopeless on the wrong side of the gate called beautiful. He would die there. He would never know what it was for his ankles and his legs to be strengthened. He he never would have known what it was to walk for the first time, to jump, to worship God properly on the other side of the gate in the temple courts. He would have never known. What if Peter and John that day, instead of choosing to be bold no matter the cost, counted the cost and decided, you know what, just going to be quiet today. I I think about the 2,000 men the thousands of women and children who would have missed Jesus as their Messiah that day because Peter and John chose to be quiet instead of being bold. And you know what? I don't want to travel that road in my life. I don't want to come to the end of my life with the question of what if? What if I'd really taken Jesus seriously? What what if I had, had chosen boldness in my life? No matter the cost. What what would my life have looked like, honestly? Every time I think of the boldness of God in creating us, the boldness of that same God launching a rescue plan to save us when sin entered into our story. When I think of the boldness of that very same God who clothed himself in flesh, made his dwelling upon us in Jesus Christ, that very same God being crucified to a tree because of my sin, that very same God emptying the grave, defeating death and hell itself, I think of the boldness of that God, and every time I think of him, every time I look to him, I don't want my life to be that road not traveled. I want to choose boldness, not being a jerk, but being Jesus. I want to choose boldness, no matter the cost. Can I, can I close in this story? Um, recently, I ran across a story about a missionary. Now, we're going we're gonna to call him Billy, but he's from Mogadishu in Somalia, and they don't name a lot of Billies out there, okay? That's a name that we talk about so that his name and his identity is protected because he still lives in that region. Well, Billy was raised in a, in a Muslim home, a faithful Muslim home. His dad was a tribal leader, still is a tribal leader, and was a religious leader in their community. His dad had memorized the entire Quran, and forcing that upon his son made sure that his son would memorize the entire Quran. But Billy decided, you know what? I'm going to study the Bible right alongside the New Testament, right alongside the Quran. They're about both equal in size. And so as he began to study the Quran, he studied the Bible with it. And God began to stir in his heart. He would listen to pirated radio shows 
Because nobody there would dare proclaim Christ in Somalia and Mogadishu out loud. But they were piping in radio shows into Somalia where preachers were sharing the gospel. And for the first time, he heard another Somali man talk about Jesus and the gospel openly on the radio. And God began to stir in his heart. So much so that Billy placed his faith and his trust in Jesus. But he had nothing. His family had warned him, hey, if you give your life to Christ, if you convert, you'll pay with it with your very life. But he did anyway. It would be years. But he met for the first time another man in his community that was a Christian, and he was a Somali. They got together, and they began to study the Bible together secretly, underground, so that they they wouldn't be killed for their faith. And all of a sudden, they begin to talk with other people. And before long, Billy and his friend and 12 other men had formed a house church in Mogadishu in Somalia where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread. I just sounds a whole lot like Acts chapter 2 at the end, doesn't it? And there they were growing in their faith. They were evangelizing. Until one day, their Bible study was found out. Their little house church was uncovered by Muslim extremists. And there the mark was placed on them. And here's the account of their story. That after their Bible study was found out, that a man by the name of Laban, now a famed Somali martyr, was the first to be murdered in their small church of 14. A doctor who had attended the church while he was out in Mogadishu was shot to death. An educator who was a part of those 14 men was kidnapped and executed. A Christian man and his wife, as they lay in bed asleep at night, were ambushed in their own home, and their lives were taken. Another church member was taken off of a bus in which they were traveling in broad daylight and executed before everyone on the bus. Twelve in all of that church of 14 in Mogadishu were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ because they chose boldness no matter the cost. Billy survived. He survived many attempts on his life, so much so that he was forced to move just on the other side of the border. And do you know what Billy still does today with the other man who survived? To this day, he travels back and forth into Somalia. And you know what? I love this tale, and I want to read this. He's now traveling back and forth, planning underground house churches and nurturing them. No longer are there only 14 Christians in Mogadishu. The church is quietly growing partly because of the testimony of the 12 who were bold enough to not only live, but to die for Jesus Christ. What's amazing is, is God took the boldness of 14 men where they chose boldness over what it cost them. And right now, there's not 14, but there are dozens of house churches 
alive and well in Mogadishu today. And I look at that, and I think this, where's our boldness? I look at, and I'm not talking just Connect Church. We live in an incredible community with incredible churches, and you're one of them. But for the majority of people who name Christ, their boldness is no greater than a bag of chips. And it's nowhere near the boldness that Jesus died to give us. So how is it that you and I can bring bold back? We do so by choosing boldness no matter the cost. You know, a few weeks ago, we launched a campaign entitled, Who's Your One? In this box are the names of hundreds of people who are close to you but are far from God. They're your one. They're they're the one person this year you've committed to love, to pray for, to eat with, to fellowship with, to watch the game with, to do life with. And it's full of names of people that you have, you've promised to share the gospel with. And I come off of Acts chapter 4 and I go, man, what's it going to take to reach our ones? You ready? Boldness. Boldness. I'm not asking you today to fly to Mogadishu, to plant a house church. I'm not. God may call you to do so. We'd love to send you. But here's what we know, is that what he's calling every believer to today is a boldness that though it costs us everything, we go for it. We go for the bold. We steal the thunder from Doritos. And we live for boldness in Christ. And the question is, are you ready to go there in your life? The choice is yours to make. I can't make it for you. Jesus won't make it for you. Are you ready to be bold for Christ? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.